Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 103, recorded here on February 18, 2024. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice, so please do your own homework. Well, we'll start with the market update and outlook, and then we'll get into the top Bitcoin news and then finish up with this week's featured post on my Substack. Stocks fell Friday to end the week in the negative following a second inflation report that sparked concerns the Federal Reserve may cut interest rates later rather than sooner. The January producer price index released Friday rose by a larger than expected 0.3%, while core PPI, excluding food and energy prices, jumped half a percent. The 10-year Treasury yield spiked above 4.3% following the hot PPI reading, and the two-year Treasury yield topped 4.7% to its highest level so far this year. Earlier in the week, the consumer price index climbed by a larger than forecast 3.1%, The CPI and PPI reports have led to markets sharply recalibrating their expectations of interest rate cuts this week. According to the CME FedWatch tool, the odds of a 25 basis point rate cut by the Fed in March is now at 11% versus 16% a week ago and a whopping 63% a month ago. All three major stock market indexes broke their five-week winning streaks with the S&P 500 closing down 0.4%, the Dow Jones tipped 0.1% lower, and the NASDAQ composite slid 1.3%. Looking ahead, investors will not have much in the way of economic data to wade through next week after a wave of conflicting reports on GDP, jobs, retail sales, and CPI inflation did little to settle the debate about whether the economy is more at risk of overheating or drifting into a recession. However, heavyweight earnings reports from NVIDIA and Walmart could impact sentiment broadly in their respective sectors. NVIDIA is up more than 45% on a year-to-date basis and is the AI superstar of the year, while Walmart is being tagged as one of the better defensive plays of the year. Walmart also has a three-for-one stock split that will become effective at the close of trading on Friday. In the crypto sector, expect more buzz about the Bitcoin halving event that is expected to occur in May to reduce the reward for Bitcoin mining by half. The first Bitcoin halving occurred in November 2012, followed by halving events in July 2016 and May 2020. Bitcoin typically trades with increased volatility in the months ahead of the halving event. Of course, we've talked about that a lot here on this podcast. Jumping into top news, first of the week in review from Bitcoin.com. Rich Dad, Poor Dad author Robert Kiyosaki has cautioned about the impending downfall of the American empire, drawing parallels to the decline of the Roman empire. Uh, A quote here, the Roman Empire ended in the same way with massive gladiators entertaining chubby Romans while their bankers debased the currency to pay soldiers and bills, he said, adding that investors should buy Bitcoin, gold, and silver. Uh, Peter Schiff, once again, warning that Bitcoin price looks like a pump and dump. Okay, Peter. 
Uh, according to the latest data, the countdown to the Bitcoin network's having event shows fewer than 10,000 blocks from becoming a reality. Further analysis suggests that the halving is anticipated to take place between April 19th and April 21st, 2024, reducing the block rewards from the existing rate of 6.25 Bitcoins per block to 3.125 Bitcoins per block after the halving. Skybridge Capital founder Anthony Scaramucci has explained that it's not too late to buy Bitcoin. With Bitcoin's price surging past $50,000, he anticipates that many are wondering if they've missed the opportunity to buy the crypto. Scaramucci stressed that his answer is a hard no. Uh, next up is the Hodler's Digest from Cointelegraph for the week February 11th through 17th. Uh, major banks and financial institutions are pushing the United States Securities and Exchange Commission to revise its definition of crypto assets, which could allow them to act as custodians to the recently approved spot Bitcoin exchange traded funds. A coalition of these institutions submitted a letter to the SEC on February 14th, seeking amendments to the Staff Accounting Bulletin 121 issued in March 2022. They stated that it has been two years since the issuance of the guidance, and there have been several relevant developments during the period, including the approval of spot Bitcoin ETFs. The current guidance requires banks to hold crypto assets on their balance sheet, which makes it costly and hinders their ability to provide crypto custody services at scale. And we'll get into that one in a little bit more detail later. I thought that was kind of an interesting one. The criminal sentencing for Binance founder and former CEO Changpeng CZ Zhao has been pushed back to April 30th. The notice of scheduled rehearing, rescheduled hearing, sorry, was filed in the Seattle Federal Court on February 12th. Zhao was originally due to be sentenced on February 23rd after pleading guilty to money laundering charges. He is expected to face up to 18 months in prison. Zhao's legal team is expected to argue for no jail time or an alternative sentence and request to combine prison time with home detention and probation. The former executive is currently out on bail on a $175 million bond and is residing in the U.S. awaiting his sentencing. Galaxy Digital, uh, their mining analysts, predict that up to 20% of Bitcoin's hash rate could go offline following the Bitcoin halving due to reduced block rewards that favor only the most efficient mining rigs. By the end of 2023, eight ASIC miner models produced over 70% of Bitcoin's hash rate, but the upcoming halving will decrease block rewards from 6.25 to 3.125 Bitcoin, significantly impacting the profitability of various ASIC models. This shift combined with future power price predictions and a Bitcoin price assumption of 45,000 suggests that less efficient models like Bitmain's S9, Canon's A1066, and MicroBT's M32 could be phased out, while more efficient models such as MicroBT's M20S and Bitmain's S17 may survive. Gold tracking ETFs experienced significant outflows in 2024, totaling $2.4 billion across 14 leading ETFs, according to data from Bloomberg's analyst Eric Balhunas. In contrast, the spot Bitcoin ETFs have witnessed substantial growth, with the 10 approved funds attracting aggregate inflows of $3.89 billion since their inception on January 11th. 
The largest withdrawals were observed in BlackRock's <clears throat> iShares Gold Micro Trust and iShares Gold Trust, facing outflows of 230.4 million and 423.6 million, respectively. On the other hand, BlackRock has multiplied the iShares Bitcoin Trust holdings by more than 3,700% since debuting IBIT, growing its assets under management from 2,621 Bitcoin to 100,000 Bitcoin within a month. Prediction of the week. Bitcoin was on the way to 55,000 this week, but warnings of a new bear market are already surfacing. Popular pseudonymous trader Titan of Crypto confirmed a $55,400 Bitcoin price target next in his latest analysis on X on February 14th. Both target one and two have been hit, but 50,900 is a strong level. If Bitcoin managed to close a weekly candle above, target three at 55.4K is next, part of the accompanying commentary stated. Looking ahead, however, concerns over a potentially overheated market are leading to Bitcoin price downside predictions. Pseudonymous trader and analyst Credible Crypto warned that even if existing all-time highs are exceeded and Bitcoin US dollar passes 100,000, the odds of a snap correction are increasing. At the end of the day, for every major parabolic rise, there's a major crash and vice versa, the trader wrote on X. And in FUD of the week, crowdfunding platform GoFundMe canceled a fundraiser dedicated to collecting legal fees for the co-founder of controversial crypto mixer Tornado Cash, Roman Storm, and its developer, Alexei Pertsev. On January 22nd, Storm released a video asking community members to fund the legal fees for its court battle against the United States authorities for allegedly facilitating the bypass of U.S. sanctions. GoFundMe canceled the fundraiser, citing the breach of their terms of service, claiming it could expose GoFundMe, its employees, or users to any harm or liability of any type. The company returned donors' money. And that pretty much wraps up the Hodler's Digest for the week. <clears throat> Next article is from Bitcoin.com. This was posted a day ago. April 2024, Bitcoin having sparked worldwide curiosity. Data reveals. The excitement surrounding the anticipated subsidy reduction known as Bitcoin having reached its zenith with a perfect score of 100 on Google Trends uh, in the week of February 12, 2024. This search the surge, measured over a 90-day period using Google Trends Global Data, began its upward trajectory at, at the dawn of January. By January 24, 2024, the phrase Bitcoin having had already ascended to a score of 40 out of 100, gradually increasing until it reached Monday's pinnacle. As of this writing, the search query maintains a high score of 96 out of 100. Curiosity around the phrase Bitcoin having is on an upward trend as the anticipated event draws nearer, projected to take place on or about April 19th, 2024. This growing interest especially comes from those less acquainted with the leading crypto asset, intrigued by its unique nature, a stark contrast to traditional fiat currencies. The protocol's designed to have new issuance every 210,000 blocks ensures scarcity and serves as a hedge against inflation. Throughout the three-month period, Benin, a country in West Africa, has emerged as the top region 
showing keen interest in the term Bitcoin having. Hmm, that's interesting. Following Benin, the top five regions expressing keen interest in Bitcoin having are the Netherlands, Switzerland, Singapore, and Austria. Searches also dive into how many Satoshis in a Bitcoin, when is the next Bitcoin halving event, and the reasons behind Bitcoin scarcity. The buzz around halving spans around the digital realm with discussions buzzing on social platforms like X and Facebook, alongside numerous Reddit threads dedicated to the topic. Curiosity peaks as people ponder over the future value of Bitcoin post-halving and the reasons behind the customary price dip preceding each halving event. As the April 2024 Bitcoin halving event approaches, the digital currency's inherent deflationary mechanism captures global attention, hinting at a pivotal shift in its valuation dynamics. This anticipation underscores the broader narrative of digital assets challenging traditional financial paradigms, with communities worldwide keenly observing the potential for a new epoch in cryptocurrency's journey towards mainstream acceptance. The collective intrigue around the halving underscores a growing acknowledgement of Bitcoin's unique economic model, setting the stage for an intriguing chapter in the evolution of digital finance. So uh, that's quite interesting, and uh, it's good to see that uh, people are paying attention. Um, and uh, stay humble, stack sats. Next article is from Bitcoin.com. This was posted three days ago, um, a little bit deeper dive into something we mentioned earlier, BlackRock's Bitcoin ETF holdings near 110,000. BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, disclosed <clears throat> that as of February 14th, its spot Bitcoin ETF, iShares Bitcoin Trust, or IBIT ticker, held 109,609 Bitcoins and $109,955 in cash, <laughs> which translates to approximately uh, $5.4 billion in net assets. Uh, spot Bitcoin ETFs raked in $339.8 million on February 14th, with IBIT leading the pack at $224.3 million in net inflow. 10 U.S. spot Bitcoin ETFs, including BlackRock's IBIT and Grayscale's Bitcoin Trust, GBTC, saw a combined total inflow of over $4.1 billion since launch, according to data compiled by BitMEX Research. Since its launch on January 11th, Grayscale's GBTC has experienced massive outflows. BlackRock's iShares Bitcoin Trust quickly climbed to the top five in terms of inflows for all ETFs in 2024, achieving this feat within just 17 days of launch. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink recently said that he is now a, quote, big believer in Bitcoin, emphasizing that, quote, it's bigger than any government. And, of course, he wants to make money. In U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission approved uh, 11 spot Bitcoin ETFs on January 10th, in a Wednesday interview, SEC Chairman Gary Gensler reiterated that approving spot Bitcoin ETFs does not endorse Bitcoin itself. He emphasized that the securities watchdog is merit neutral. However, he raised concerns about Bitcoin's use in ransomware, highlighting its prevalence in this illicit activity. Um, meanwhile, many investors anticipate a significant price increase for Bitcoin due to spot Bitcoin ETFs and the upcoming Bitcoin halving 
MicroStrategy's executive chairman, Michael Saylor, said this week that Bitcoin has become the world's most popular investment asset. I think the assets found its footing and now people are beginning to realize that there's 10 times as much demand for Bitcoin coming through these ETFs as there is supply coming from the miners, the executive opined. So um, anyway, I don't really like the ETFs, um, but there's probably situations where you might buy the ETF, like maybe if you have a uh, 401k or some kind of a brokerage account and you want Bitcoin exposure, um, that would probably be a reason to do it. But if you're just investing cash, you're better off to just buy the coins yourself and self-custody and cold storage uh, and avoid the uh, fees and that the uh, rent seekers charge. And then um, also nobody can take your coins away from you when you self-custody. So uh, uh, I recommend self-custody um always over ETS, but if there if you want to, the ETS are fine as well for certain situations where maybe you can't cash out or whatever. Like a 401k or an IRA or something like that. But even if you have an individual retirement account, you can actually roll over into a Bitcoin uh IRA. I know I was able to do that. Um with Unchained Capital. Um, there's other providers that have those as well uh, that are set up to where you can um, hold your keys and have Bitcoin, but have it wrapped into a Roth IRA product, which is great because then you don't pay any taxes on the appreciation down the road, uh, assuming they don't tinker with the IRA laws, which the government could always do. So <laughs> have to be aware of that. Uh, next article is from Zcrypto. This was posted on February 17th, so yesterday. Institutions creating huge Bitcoin buying pressure as Bitcoin eyes new all-time high. In a remarkable turn of events, Bitcoin surged beyond the $52,000 mark, powered by substantial buying pressure from institutional players. The cryptocurrency long hailed for its decentralized nature is seeing an influx of interest from major institutional entities signifying a paradigm shift in its acceptance within mainstream finance. One of the primary catalysts behind this surge is the heavy institutional buying observed on Coinbase, a prominent exchange platform favored by American investors. CryptoQuant founder and CEO Ki Young Ju has shed light on the situation, suggesting that institutional brokers are acquiring Bitcoin on Coinbase to fulfill their clients' orders. The surge in institutional interest is noticeable in the Coinbase Premium Index, a metric tracking the percentage difference between Bitcoin prices on Coinbase and Binance. The increase in that index is proof of more buying activity on Coinbase. That means increased interest from U.S.-based institutional traders. A closer look at cumulative returns by trading session reveals the dominant role played by American investors in propelling Bitcoin's recent price rally. Reflexivity Research co-founder Will has shared a chart illustrating that Bitcoin experiences the most positive returns during American trading hours. This trend shows the exceptional buying pressure 
emerging from U.S.-based entities further solidifying Bitcoin's position as a favorite among American investors. The surge in Bitcoin prices and heightened institutional buying activity marks a significant moment for the crypto market. Bitcoin's status as a mainstream asset is gaining further traction with increasing institutional participation. Furthermore, the concentration of buying pressure during American trading hours underscores the substantial influence of the U.S. market on Bitcoin's price movements. Bitcoin's journey above the $52,000 mark signals a new era for the cryptocurrency as institutions increasingly recognize the value and potential of Bitcoin, the digital asset is carving its place in the mainstream. The ongoing convergence of traditional finance in the crypto space is a testament to the broader adoption and acceptance of cryptocurrencies, marking a momentous chapter in the history of digital assets. So a lot of hopium out there, but uh, there is a lot of um, price support now with all the institutions and uh, the ETFs. So, um, but, you know, Bitcoin will Bitcoin. So it will probably, you know, there'll be a parabolic rise this cycle and then a blow off top and it'll crash and hopefully it'll stabilize at some level above the prior all-time high of 69,000 if history well, history didn't really repeat this last cycle because it broke through 20 and went down to 15. But if you're so lucky to have that happen again, uh, you'll have an opportunity to scoop up some cheap coins. Otherwise, just uh, dollar cost average. That seems to be the... And don't trade. By all means, don't trade because that's a good way to get wrecked. Uh, discovered a new site here, bitcoinnews.com, which is quite interesting. Had a few good articles on here. So, uh, this first one here was posted on uh, today. Um, Custody centralized. Coinbase holds keys to 90% of Bitcoin ETFs. Coinbase, a leading digital asset exchange, has emerged as a dominant player in the Bitcoin exchange traded funds market. Coinbase custody manages a significant portion of the assets held within these funds. With the rise of institutional interest in Bitcoin, Coinbase's role as a custodian for Bitcoin ETFs has garnered attention, raising questions about the concentration of assets within one entity. In an ex-post published on February 16th, Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong highlighted the exchange's impressive performance in the fourth quarter of 2023. One standout achievement is Coinbase's custodial services, particularly its management of Bitcoin ETF's assets. According to Armstrong, Coinbase currently oversees approximately 90% of the $37 billion worth of assets held within Bitcoin ETFs in the United States. Coinbase's dominance in Bitcoin ETF custody underscores its pivotal role in facilitating institutional investment in the Bitcoin market. As traditional finance increasingly embraces the digital asset, Bitcoin ETFs have emerged as the second largest commodity ETFs in the U.S., trailing only behind gold. Coinbase's position as a trusted custodian for these assets positions it as a key player in the ongoing institutional adoption of Bitcoin, although I think the banks probably would like to take some of that business away from them from the sounds of it. The latest reports from Coinbase highlight the significant influx of institutional investments into Bitcoin ETFs, according to data from Farside. With over $4.9 billion invested 
in existing U.S. spot Bitcoin ETFs so far this year, institutional investors are adapting to the new ETF landscape, providing robust support for Bitcoin's market dynamics. Coinbase's custodial solutions play a crucial role in facilitating these institutional inflows, further solidifying its position in the market. Despite its success, Coinbase's dominance in Bitcoin ETF custody raises questions about the concentration of assets within one entity. And of course, as we all know, centralized uh, authorities are security holes and there's always a risk something could go wrong. Some observers have raised concerns about the potential risks associated with such concentration. Additionally, the involvement of traditional banking institutions in offering custodial solutions for digital assets poses competition for Coinbase, as um, I just mentioned. Looking ahead to 2024, Coinbase remains focused on expanding its international presence and introducing new derivatives products. The, the exchange aims to enhance utility in digital assets through payment solutions and the development of its Coinbase wallet into an on-chain super app. Furthermore, Coinbase is committed to advocating for regulatory clarity in the digital asset space, ensuring a conducive environment for continued growth and adoption. Coinbase's position as a dominant custodian for Bitcoin ETF assets highlights its crucial role in facilitating institutional investment in Bitcoin. With its robust custodial solutions and strategic focus on innovation and regulatory compliance, Coinbase is poised to continue driving forward the adoption of Bitcoin and contributing to the evolution of the global financial system. However, challenges remain, particularly regarding the concentration of assets and increasing competition from traditional banking institutions. As Coinbase navigates these challenges, its commitment to providing secure and reliable custodial services remains unwavering, cementing its status as a leader in the digital asset industry. <laughs> this almost sounds like a, an advertisement, but uh, again, it is concerning that they're the custodian of 90% of the Bitcoin held in the ETFs. It really should be spread around more uh, you know, they may be quite good at managing the keys, <clears throat> but uh, any any concentration like that should uh, should be concerning. And that's why if I was going to invest in a Bitcoin ETF, I'd probably choose one that's not using Coinbase as a custodian. I think Fidelity has their own setup. Uh, Bitwise might be using uh, someone else or their own setup. So uh Anyway, if you are going to play in that space, do definitely do your research into the different ones and and look at the fees too, because Grayscale is still charging one and a half percent, while most of these are charging 0.25 or I think one of them is charging 0.21, <laughs> and a nod to the 21 million. And most of the them are also waiving the fees until for the first several months or something. Uh, anyway, so. Uh, next up, this is from Bitcoin Magazine, and I actually thought this was, uh, you know, like a, an article from uh, the Babylon Bee, but it's actually uh, true. Elizabeth Warren, and this was posted on February 15th, Elizabeth Warren pivots on Bitcoin, honors Nakamoto with flag over capital. In an unexpected turn of events, Elizabeth Warren, the longtime adversary of Bitcoin on Capitol Hill, has seen the orange-tinted light and quite literally raised a flag to praise the work of Bitcoin's 
anonymous creator Satoshi Nakamoto celebrating 15 years since the network launched. In participation of the Capital Flag Program, Senator Warren's office submitted a request to commemorate Nakamoto's accomplishment of creating the first truly inclusive financial system with the colors of the United States being flown above the Capitol on December 18th, 2023, a date uh, known to Bitcoiners as HODL Day. While the sudden embrace of Bitcoin by the Massachusetts Senator may seem a surprise, her career-long rhetoric about fighting for the financially underserved has finally taken shape within this tangible statement, as if speaking to her campaign promises to champion the working class negatively affected by corruption within both the government and the banking sector, the certificate produced by the architect of the Capitol in recognition of the flag <clears throat> notes the new economic freedoms to populations previously ignored by both private and public institutions brought forward by Nakamoto's Bitcoin. The Senator's office filing for the flag flying itself was noticed by friends of Bitcoin Magazine, PubKey, who are holding a public event in the New York City this evening, February 15th at 6 p.m. to unveil not only the story of the flag, but the flag itself, complete with a dramatized reading of the infamous December 18th, 2013 post on Bitcoin Talk that immortalized HODL within the Bitcoin lexicon from actor, comedian, and Bitcoiner T.J. Miller. Prior to the event itself, an ex formerly Twitter Spaces hosted by Bitcoin Magazine and PubKey at 4.30 p.m. Eastern will further tell the story of how Satoshi's flag and Warren's endorsement came to be, much like during the mid-1770s, freedom-focused bars such as PubKey play an important role in socializing the ideas and stories that make up a revolution. Thomas Pacquia, co-founder of PubKey, made note of the senator's pivot when speaking with Bitcoin Magazine. This is an, a historic moment for how politicians in Washington view the promise and inclusivity of the Bitcoin protocol. What politicians do is much more important than what they say. Her website, and that's the truth, her website describes her as a leading voice for consumer protection, financial reform, and social justice, and her recent action of promoting Satoshi's work seems to be in total alignment with her stated political mission. Only one week before Warren ordered a flag flown, the senator introduced legislation to give the Treasury more tools to restrict the criminal usage of Bitcoin, making bold comments that they need new laws to crack down on crypto's use and enabling terrorist groups, rogue nations, drug lords, ransomware gangs, and fraudsters to launder billions in stolen funds, evade sanctions, fund illegal weapons programs, and <clears throat> profit from devastating cyber attacks. She even went so far as to make note of creating an anti-crypto army in March of last year in her bid for re-election. Warren had co-authored a letter to Fidelity CEO Abigail Johnson in May 2022, raising concerns about putting Bitcoin within their 401ks, stating that investing in cryptocurrencies is a risky and speculative gamble, and we are concerned that Fidelity would take these risks with millions of Americans' retirement savings. Now that U.S. regulatory agencies such as the SEC have allowed the approval of 11-spot Bitcoin ETFs, including Fidelity's FBTC, Warren has changed her tone, recognizing the immense economic freedom brought about by such novel technology, and now joins a growing group of elected officials throwing their name behind Nakamoto's protocol. 
Bitcoin Magazine and PubKey encourage Bitcoiners to take polite note of this change of heart by reaching out to Warren's office directly, as well as tagging her ex, formerly Twitter handle, and thanking her for championing Satoshi Nakamoto and recognizing him for the hero he is. And we don't trust politicians. And uh, she's probably just doing this to get reelected. Um, obviously, because she, you know, was anti-Bitcoin and now she's pro-Bitcoin. So don't trust. Don't trust. Uh, look at what they do, not what they say. Um, but eh, it's, uh, it's okay. Next article is from... One of my favorite websites, Crypto Potato, uh, this is uh, was updated uh, yesterday, February 17th, and an update on Bitcoin mining. Bitcoin mining difficulty taps new all-time high above 80 terahash, two months ahead of Bitcoin halving. With roughly just two months left until the fourth halving reduces the Bitcoin production supply by half, Miners seem to be operating on a high level on the largest blockchain. The Bitcoin mining difficulty metric increased by more than 8% yesterday and soared to a all, new all-time high, while the hash rate has slightly declined since its peak earlier this month. The Bitcoin mining difficulty is among the most important features of the Bitcoin blockchain. It readjusts every 2016 blocks, about two weeks depending on the mining power. In other words, when there are more miners putting their computational devices to work on the Bitcoin blockchain, the difficulty increases, making it harder for them to mine new Bitcoin in order to preserve the block production ratio and vice versa. The metric has been rising steadily for the past several years, showing no signs of miners capitulation despite the Chinese ban on everything crypto and the painful bear market in 2022 and 2023. In fact, the mining difficulty has quadrupled since February 2021 when it hovered around 20 terahash. Data from BitInfo charts shows that the latest increase when it came yesterday of 8.2%, it took the mining difficulty to a new all-time high of over 81 terahash. As mentioned above, this showcases the network robustness, which is particularly interesting to follow given the upcoming halving. As reported yesterday, speculations arose that the hash rate could go down ahead of the event as some miners might unplug their machines from the blockchain. There are some signs that this could be the case, as the Bitcoin hash rate, currently at 550 exahash per second, is already down by 15% since its all-time high of over 650 exahash per second registered at the beginning of the month. The mining difficulty is not the only part of the Bitcoin landscape that has been increasing lately. Bitcoin's price has been on a roll for the past 10 days, jumping by nearly $10,000. This resulted in breaking out of its $43,000 resistance and soaring past 50 for the first time in over two years. Furthermore, the cryptocurrency kept going further and neared 53000 yesterday to chart a new peak. Nevertheless, the rally was halted at this point as Bitcoin couldn't breach that level as of now, the asset stands close to 52,000 and is up by 10% over the past week. And of course, we all like to see the hash rate uh, continue to go higher because that means the network is secure. Next article, this one is also from bitcoinnews.com. Uh, and as always, I'll include links to the articles in the show notes so you can read it for yourself. 
this one here uh, was posted uh, yesterday. U.S. banks seek rule changes for Bitcoin ETF inclusion. And we talked about this a little bit earlier. Several prominent U.S. banking groups are actively pursuing entry into the Bitcoin exchange traded funds landscape, prompting a collective plea for a rule change to facilitate their participation in the Bitcoin spot ETF space. On February 14th, a coalition of influential trade groups, including the Bank Policy Institute, the American Bankers Association, the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association, and the Financial Services Forum submitted a letter to the Securities and Exchange Commission advocating for specific modifications. And then they have a little reproduction here of the letter. At the heart of the matter lies the SEC's current accounting guidance, which directs public companies, including banks, to treat digital assets they custody as liabilities on their balance sheets. This suggests that banks should allocate assets in proportion to their digital asset holdings. This approach serves as a strategy to reduce potential losses and align with rigorous regulatory capital requirements. The coalition states that this rule hinders traditional banks' efficiency in serving as custodians for newly launched Bitcoin spot ETFs. The restrictions arise from factors such as tier one capital ratio and other reserve and capital requirements. The banking group urges the SEC to reconsider the regulation that amplifies the cost for traditional banks to provide digital asset services. The existing rules, they argue, hinder banks from participating in the custodial services for Bitcoin ETFs, limiting the market to non-bank custody providers. Additionally, the group highlights the concentration risk posed by a single non-bank entity dominating the custodial services for ETFs. For instance, renowned exchange Coinbase serves as a custodian for eight out of the 11 spot ETF providers, like we talked about earlier. The banking group proposes allowing regulated banks to offer custodial services for SEC regulated ETFs, similar to non-bank asset custodians to mitigate this concern. The group also urges the SEC to refine the definition of crypto outlined in Staff Accounting Bulletin 121 to exclude traditional financial assets recorded or transferred on blockchain networks. This, they argue, would provide clarity by distinguishing between asset types and use cases. The letter states, SAB 121 makes no distinction between asset types and use cases, but instead generally states that crypto assets pose certain technological, legal, and regulatory risks requiring on-balance sheet treatment. The group proposes exempting banks from the on-balance sheet requirements while upholding disclosure obligations. This approach aims to enable banks to engage in select digital asset activities while maintaining transparency for investors. The SEC defending its accounting guidance highlights the uncertainties posed by digital assets compared to traditional assets. SEC Chair Gary Gensler has recently expressed concerns about the lack of appropriate disclosures in the industry. The current guidance, known as Staff Accounting Bulletin 121, has faced resistance from banks, citing its restrictive impact on scaling up services for digital assets. The SEC's stance has led to what the trade groups describe as a chilling effect on plans to integrate blockchain technology into traditional assets. Earlier in February, Representatives Mike Flood, a Nebraska Republican, and Wiley Nickel, a North Carolina Democrat, jointly presented a resolution aiming to invalidate the SEC's guidance. They argue that the regulatory body has exceeded its jurisdiction. Flood asserted in an interview, the SEC should not be making rules that affect bank custody. That's a job for our prudential regulators. 
The outcome of this dialogue between the banking groups and the SEC holds significance not only for the banks seeking entry into the Bitcoin ETFs arena, but also for the broader industry dynamics. So quite interesting. We'll need to follow that one closely. <clears throat> and finally, also from BitcoinNews.com, uh, this was posted on February 16th, U.S. Treasury. Surprise, use of digital assets in terror financing is minimal. In a recent series of testimonies before the House Financial Services Committee, the U.S. Treasury's Undersecretary for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence, Brian Nelson, provided critical insights into the role of digital assets in funding terrorist activities. His testimony is aimed to clarify misconceptions surrounding the use of digital currencies by militant groups like Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Initial reports, notably by the Wall Street Journal, suggested significant digital asset usage by these groups, citing figures in the tens of millions of dollars. However, Nelson debunked these claims, asserting that digital currencies play only a minor role in their financing. Nelson's, Nelson's testimony to a House panel suggests that the U.S. Treasury now believes the actual amount of digital assets funding Hamas is significantly less than what was initially reported by the Wall Street Journal. Nelson emphasized the need for improved data and analysis to better inform policy decisions. Nelson stated, the numbers noted in the Wall Street Journal piece talked about wallets, but not necessarily the disaggregated am amount among the wallet's customers. Nelson emphasized that digital assets accounted for only a small fraction of the funding for Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad. He highlighted the preference of terrorist organizations for traditional financial mechanisms over the complexities of digital currencies. This assertion contradicted earlier narratives fueled by media reports. During questioning, Republican Congressman Tom Emmer asked, on October 10, 2023, the Wall Street Journal reported that between August 2021 and June 2023, Hamas received $41 million in digital assets and Palestinian Islamic Jihad received $93 million in digital assets. Undersecretary Nelson, is, th is this Treasury's assessment too? Because world's leading blockchain analytics firms have called this a misinterpretation of the data and that the amount that any terrorist might have received is significantly smaller. It's assets that people had in their wallets as opposed to what was specifically going to Palestinian Islamic Jihad and Hamas. To which Nelson replied, yes, I think that assessment largely tracks with the number noted in the Wall Street Journal piece talked about wallets. That's what we think is most likely, and that's our assessment. He added that he believes that terrorists still prefer to use traditional products and services. The confusion stemmed from a misinterpretation of data where the reported amounts failed to accurately represent funds specifically directed to these groups. Nelson underscored the importance of disaggregating money flows to provide a clearer understanding of the situation. Treasury sanctions businesses and regional financial firms alleging they aid undesired activities. When questioned about the exact funds allocated to terrorist groups, Nelson stated he could provide those numbers in a classified conversation, stating, we don't expect the numbers very high. I think we can have a classified conversation about precise numbers or expectations. I think we have done a good job in identifying the virtual asset service providers that they've relied on and the financial facilitators they've historically relied on that would tend to use virtual assets. Nelson's testimonies prompted reactions from lawmakers, with some calling for public clarification to prevent misinformed legislation. Concerns were raised about the potential impact on financial innovation in the U.S. if the legislation were based on inaccurate information. 
Emmer persisted in questioning Nelson, emphasizing the Treasury's duty to correct the pu record publicly. He warned against legislative decisions influenced by misinformation. Emmer said, Senators are writing legislation based on the Wall Street Journal's inaccurate reporting. Since Treasury has accurate data, it has an obligation to correct the record on the size of Hamas's digital asset fundraising efforts. We have senators who are legislating on these false figures. Certain senators are trying to base legislation on the Wall Street Journal false numbers that would literally destroy innovation in this country. Digital assets' role in terror financing remains minimal, with reports indicating that their use in facilitating criminal activities continue to diminish. A report from Chainalysis indicates that digital assets contribute to 0.34% of all illicit transactions worldwide. This figure is significantly lower than the 1.29% reported in 2019. Nelson added, while we continue to assess that terrorist use of digital assets remains a small fraction of more established mechanisms to move money, we recognize that terrorist groups have and may continue to turn to digital assets to raise, transfer, and store their illicit proceeds. Recent legal actions against digital asset exchanges such as Binance highlight concerns about their role in facilitating illicit financial activities. Lawsuits allege insufficient measures against money laundering and raise questions about the extent of regulatory oversight in the digital asset industry. Nelson reiterated the Treasury's commitment to combating the misuse of digital assets by terrorists. He emphasized the need for additional tools and resources to disrupt financial networks supporting terrorism, indicating a proactive approach to address emerging threats. Nelson initially highlighted the importance of disrupting extremist groups' use of digital assets. However, in response to Emmer's inquiries, he emphasized the government's focus on disrupting these groups' ability to leverage digital assets and the need for additional tools and resources to address illicit finance and virtual asset markets and forums. The testimonies provided by Brian Nelson shed light on the complex relationship between digital assets and terror financing. While initial reports may have exaggerated the extent of usage by militant groups, the reality suggests a more nuanced picture. As debates continue, policymakers must seek accurate information to form effective regulation without stifling innovation in the digital asset industry. And that wraps it up. I uh, did want to mention uh, to check out this week's featured post from my Substack. Uh, it's titled A Comparative Analysis of Internet and Bitcoin, Layers, Ownership, and Decentralization. I will include a link in the show notes. And uh, if you like what you read, it's free. Go ahead and subscribe. All right. And with that, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. I enjoy listening to my podcast on Fountain, where I can earn sats just for listening. You can also, uh, again, follow my Substack. It's at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can follow me on Noster. I'm not anywhere else, just on Noster. And my end pub is in the show notes. And with that, I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.